everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we'll be diving into Will's Mania, the first episode of The Crown Season 6 Part 2. And if you thought that uh, Diana's death would finally allow us to move forward in time at anything faster than a snail's pace, uh, you were wrong, because we left off basically, uh, or we picked up right where we left off at the first half of season six. Uh, but if you do like to see young boys age about 10 years overnight, this may have been the episode for you. Joining me, as always, to discuss what we saw in this episode are my two co-hosts. First, a man who knows a thing or two about how crazy things can get in Vancouver. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, as someone who lived in the American Pacific Northwest for many, many years, what was the craziest thing you ever saw in Vancouver? Uh, the craziest thing? Um... <sighs> One time, uh, well, I, ugh, this is not a short anecdote, um, <laughs> but one time I was waiting in line uh, to, to get to eat at a restaurant in Vancouver. It's a famous one, an Indian place called Beaches, uh, and a couple spots ahead of me in line, because it's not the type of place you can get reservations. Everybody has to kind of queue up to get in. Notice the very familiar looking Indian man, and my brother and I were trying to figure out for like five, ten minutes who it was. And we eventually pieced together that it was Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Oh, wow. Okay. Ooh. And where people lined up on the streets screaming <laughs> for the CEO of Microsoft like they were for uh, No, but they, they, were, <laughs> they were screaming to get in to try those uh, turmeric cream lamb popsicles. Okay. Well, there you go. Mm. Uh, also back with us today, a woman who screams for people with red hair. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin... Was this line lifted directly from Harry's memoir, Spare? Do we know this? <laughs> oh, I hope so. Did you read? That'd be great. Did you read Spare? I have not read Spare yet, but I want to because I feel like, yeah, we didn't get that much Harry. So I'd like to know what he thought about all this. Poor Harry. He'll get screamed for eventually. <laughs> That's true. Take some time. That's true. The People tables like will now. turn. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So actually, I'd like to change my answer. That's not the craziest thing I've seen oh, okay. in Vancouver. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so many, many, many years ago, uh, my uh, you know wife, then girlfriend, and I uh, spent a couple nights in Vancouver. I think during, in our first year of dating, and our first day there, we go to into a, to a pizza place to grab a slice, and we noticed these uh, two redheaded preteen uh, twins walk by, and we just kind of made a note of the fact, like, oh, look, they're twins. A day or two later, we are clear across town in a completely different part of the city in the middle of a park, just sitting there admiring the view. Those same two twins walk by in our line of sight. Wait, so Ooh, your new craziest story following you. is that you saw a set of twins in one place in Vancouver and then a couple days later you saw them in Vancouver again. But in like in a, a completely different location, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, like I mean, okay. How often do you see twins just on a on a daily on a daily basis? Like we saw the same pair of twins like twice in subsequent days. Yeah, but in those, very in in again clear across town. But it sounds like those twins had like very distinctive. Like this may have happened to you before as well, but you just didn't know because they didn't have such distinctive features. Well, no, well, no, like it, again, like it, they're they're just two sisters. They and they were also hanging out together, like just walking side by side at least two days in a row. I think the first story was crazier. <laughs> can yeah. we do this kinky crown style? Can we vote? So, <laughs> oh. so, so Sam, oh. you, you, 
<laughs> you think the Satya Nadella story is crazier, Carlin? Yes. I think the twin story is crazier. It sounds like this restaurant attracts important people. So wait, the restaurant attracts important people. <laughs> he it said does. there was a line out the door. Yeah, it does. Apparently, I think it was uh, John Legend that once showed up at the restaurant, like, and didn't want to wait in line, and asked, uh, uh, you know, the host if he could get preferential treatment, and they turned him down. Yeah. But the CEO of Microsoft did wait in line. He sure did. Respect. <laughs> okay. So if you're new to this podcast, well, actually, so does that mean it's a tie? Yeah. No, I'm the t- I'm the tiebreaker. And you oh. say this, and you say the second story is more more. Yeah, with the twins. Crazier. Yeah. Okay, fine. All right, the twin story is crazier than sure. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, you're just joining us for the first time. We just like to say right off the top that if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the events that transpired in this episode. You have come to the wrong place because we don't know. Um, we are purely watching this with the intent of learning about the royal family. And we've done that. And now we're in the fan fiction era. So that seems fun for everybody. But before we dive into, I think, the events that happened in this episode, obviously, I want to talk a little bit about how Netflix decided to split up uh, season six, part one and season six, part two. And we got a pretty significant uh, jump in, I think, the ages of the actors, but I don't think a ton of time passed. So I don't know if you guys can clarify this a little bit, but how much time are we looking at between season six, part one and and season six, part two? I mean, I would say as little as a few weeks and, and on the high end, maybe a few months. Like, I was expecting a pretty massive time jump in between these episode blocks. And yeah, I was also surprised to see that they picked up right where we left off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They could have just put this one in the last batch, but they didn't. I agree. Was there a need to recast Harry and William here? See, is it bad that I didn't notice that? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even notice Harry? Harry Harry looked so much older. No, Harry definitely looked older, but William, (laughs) I actually didn't pick up on it until I was talking about the episode with someone. No, Harry looked too old. If he was supposed to be 12, that was like a... That was not a 12-year-old. That was not a 12-year-old. <laughs> but the, the the real crazy thing is, like, imagine if you're the, the person who is, you know, binging through this season sometime at a later date, and this, like, episode divide means nothing to you. Like, you don't, yeah. you can't even conceptualize it. You go from episode four in which, you know, Harry <laughs> just looks like a little pipsqueak, and suddenly, uh, like... You know, he's he's tall and lanky. His voice is dropped like it, it is. I mean, like this is the type of thing that they can kind of get away with when they change cast between seasons. But like mid season with events essentially picking up like, you know, off the heels of the previous episode, that is jarring. He went from like now I, he yeah. went from um like an eight year old to like slipping William champagne over, like over the course of a week. Again, <laughs> it's just they could have. I'm sure there's going to be a number that, another time jump. Why didn't they just save him for that? <laughs> like uh, you, you gotta kid... wonder. But but yeah, like you know, a few weeks ago he <laughs> he was begging to get a PlayStation, and again now he's raiding the <laughs> mini bar at the Westin downtown Vancouver. See, this is why, when did Harry descend into alcoholism? Like, <laughs> this feels like a plot line where we should have been following Harry and his, like, descent into mischiefdom at a young age. I mean, if I had completely, com- like, if I had completed puberty overnight, I might transcend into alcoholism as well. Yeah, you know, the death of your mom really does just put the put the hyperdrive on puberty. Yeah, that's crazy. Fact. All right. Anyways, Carlin. 
Can you give us a quick recap of what we saw in The Crown Season 6, Episode 5, Will's Mania? Yeah, of course. Okay, so, well, <laughs> it's apparently only a few weeks, maybe a few weeks later at most. William is still 15, and he decides to go back to full-time, attending boarding school full-time, wanting things to go back to normal as soon as possible. Charles is very much sort of like, do you want to slow down? Like, do you want to talk about things? And William is like, no, I just want to get back to the way things were. But as soon as he gets back, he's quickly flooded with both condolence letters and letters from admirers from all around the world. So he's just getting all his attention right away. And his headmaster, Dr. Gailey, asks him if he will is willing to attend some formal events for Liz and Phillips golden anniversary and William ultimately says yes and uh, Dr. Gailey again also has to stress to William do you need to slow down and he again staunchly says he is fine but at the first public appearance William is met by fangirl mania which we have not seen in since Diana but he is clearly not taking it as well as Diana and it starts to worry Charles Charles asks Camilla sort of what he should do about this and Camilla says, you need to try harder to connect with your son. And so Charles reaches out to William to see if he'll do things like go to his mother's grave or attend a family vacation slash engagement, you know, series of engagement events in Canada. And William, I said, tries to say no, but then clearly is forced to go on this trip where again, he and is then forced to do even more of these public spectacle events. And he continues to be just bombarded with this intense female attention and these crowds and all this sort of like, he's getting a little reputation in the media. And when they're alone, he ultimately tells Charles that he hates all of this and that why is he the one doing all these public image things? If it's Charles who has the image problem, just delivers the sickest burn. And that kind of ends the vibe on that vacation. So Charles then has to go to his parents to try to get some advice. He tries to ask them if they'll talk to William and try to get him to slow down and deal with his emotions in a proper way as opposed to just being mad at Charles. Ultimately, Liz is like, no, you need to do this, Charles. You are the parent. So then Charles tries again to get William to talk. And this time William does open up but says that he blames Charles for Diana's death because he thinks that Charles's affair ultimately led to Diana, who was heartbroken, wanting to be as far away from England and Charles and Camilla as possible, ultimately leading to the tragedy. Charles does not take it well. He takes it very personally. And also, one of the other bombshells he drops is that Char William thinks that Charles is jealous of him and resents him because he's so much like, he looks so much like Diana and he has the attention that Diana used to get. So basically, their, uh, their talk doesn't go too well. But we have one last Hail Mary in which Philip visits William at school and they start playing chess and Philip starts talking about how emotions will manifest themselves in many different ways and that William's anger is likely being misdirected from a different place. And he, Philip basically says, do you think it might be that you're mad that your mother died and left you, but you can't be mad at the dead person and the person, like clearly the parent that you liked more. And it kind of changes things for William. And so we end the episode with him ultimately forgiving Charles. Thanks, Carlin. Yeah, so this is the first episode that we get that really focuses on William as a main character. I think we've gotten like, you know, a little bit of William in, in previous episodes, but 
nothing where he's really, you know, the person carrying the story. And I did like seeing um, William's perspective out of all of this. This is kind of what was missing in the previous episode where he disappeared for 14 hours and we were like, oh, where's William? Um, So it was good to see that. And I also thought that this actor who played William, Ed McVeigh, I thought he did a good job with it. Um, I think this is this might be his first on-screen role, as far as I can tell. But I found it to be pretty engaging, even though I know it's hard to you know just do like a full episode of your of my my mom just died. But I thought he did like as good a job with it as one can do. Oh, I yeah, thought I he was great. He looks so much like William again. Like that's the thing. I imagine he was picked out because they're like, damn, look at this kid. Yeah, he looks. He, like, has that perfect mix of, like, you can see the, like, how he became, like, a little heartthrob, but then he also kind of looks, again, in the most sweet way possible, like, he has those kind of, like, funny, um, like, not, you know, royal family features. I thought it was just really well, like, physically really well cast, and then he just did a really good job. Yeah, no, I was... I was very into this episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see more of him, especially since, you know, he's making his debut uh, in an episode where William has to be pretty, like, somber. Uh, so he's not even getting a chance to really put his, like, full range of emotions on display here. But I, I will say, and and I, I like this episode, too, and, and I think this, uh, it, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air, honestly. And I, I will, I mean, right at the top of the conversation here, I will say that the... Uh, scene between William and uh, Charles when they have the confrontation uh, and the sort of, you know, breakdown of what happened. Possibly, I mean, I'd say the best scene of this season so far, possibly the best scene of this season and the last one. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Like, yeah. it was wonderful. And they, I just really admired how they seemed to stick to an emotional arc and like character relationships in a way that like I felt like they were just grabbing too much onto um like events at the time and like it it just felt more like character driven and therefore more engaging and I think the actors really like took that yeah absolutely um yeah and I, I mean I, I, honestly this didn't fully dawn on me until you know a couple minutes ago when we talked about the time jump and how the episodes were broken up the season but this should have been the mid-season finale like this should have been the climax of the first set of episodes uh because again it's it's a natural continuation of everything that has happened before Uh, i am assuming we will get that time jump here pretty soon since that we've been told that this final season goes until the mid-aughts so yeah i mean uh, I guess the only reason not to have done that would have been the recasting. Uh, so maybe, you know, they, whatever they needed to do with William in this episode, they probably felt the need to do it with Ed McVeigh. I guess yeah. so. I would, I would imagine. Doesn't explain yeah. the Harry change, but you know. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been funny if they recast William, but not Harry? I think that would be great. Let's emphasize the fact that this child is handing this old, this like mid-20s man. That would have been so confusing. (laughs) But again, it it really does not make sense when you consider the timeline here, how a couple months ago we had like, you know, little Harry on the the yacht and wanting his PlayStation. And and now he's just a man. Just diving more into kind of everything that's kind of surrounding William at this point. We, we pick up and he's going back to school, probably one could argue earlier than he should. He hasn't really had time to really process anything that's happening, but he just wants to kind of get back into the flow of daily life and, you know, get into kind of like a routine again. And he comes back and there's just a bag of letters like he's Santa Claus. 
Um, and these letters are, <laughs> they're a lot. I would be a little bit concerned if I was, um, just, just, the, just the thought of sending all these letters through the mail to like a 15 year old. Yeah. That's insane. The, the, him being a played by an adult that didn't really hit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think this sort of thing still happens today. I mean, obviously, social media has replaced a lot of these communication dynamics. But do you think there are still any rabid fans that are reaching out to their teen heartthrobs via snail mail? Via oh, snail uh, mail. In general, with like celebrities, I would say the royal family, I want to say yes, because I feel like no one knows how to reach them. Otherwise, like you're like, oh, they're old. Let's give them letters. Huh? To an actual celebrity. Because I mean, th this is this is like, I mean, we're we're getting pretty close to present day here in the grand scheme of things. So this is what what we're watching right now did not happen long ago, but we're we're in a different era now where I can't imagine, you know, uh, I, I'm going to use a lazy example, Timothy Chalamet, like getting, you know, fan mail, like via the U.S. Postal Service. It's all happening via social media, right? Yeah, I don't think yes. anyone, I wouldn't, where would you send it to? Like they don't have public P.O. boxes. I don't know. Yeah, they're agents. Who knows? Yeah, I don't I know, guess. but it's different where are they? because Timothy Chalamet like didn't really become famous until he was an adult. This is literally a child. Yeah, there's there's child stars still. I mean, yeah, I, don't I don't know any, but uh, <laughs> I think like, Jacob who, who's Tremblay ho who's is still hot a right child. Now? Wait, Jacob Tremblay? That's that's who we're that's <laughs> is, that's who I'm we're trying going to think with? of a child. No, like, I would have okay, gone back what, to what, like what, Justin what is Bieber. A, what is a like teen heartthrob that's like somewhere you know right like around eighteen right now? Uh, Do is we know there of any Stranger Things kid? I don't know. Yeah, They're probably. probably, probably yeah, Finn fin, fin Wolfhard, right? But isn't he like in his twenties now? Well, now I he believe is. he's yeah. fifty-eight years old. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> um, Maybe I I wish I could look that up right now because I have no idea how old that kid is. But there's also, I think, the added benefit for all these, you know, girls who are sending letters to Prince William that, you know, whoever he ends up marrying will be the literal queen of England uh, one day. Yeah. So there's also that added part of it that I don't think is in like a regular, you know, fan letter to a celebrity. Well, I think the other interesting part is it's only something that I imagine happens with the male heirs. Because, like, you know, I don't think Liz was getting fervent male fan mail attention. Obviously, I mean, I guess she also didn't know she was going to be queen, but, like, you know. And presumably neither did Charles, or at least we never saw that depicted. That's in, yeah. <laughs> I only remember <laughs> from, like, my mom saying that my grandma had a crush on Charles, and I think he did have, like, hunky status back in the 70s. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he did. And, again, like, the fact that, you know, his... Uh, his, you know, would-be spouse would also become, uh, you know, queen one day. Uh, same value proposition, right? But I think there's been a bit of a, a paradigm shift here where especially, uh, you know, following uh, the fervor around Diana, it's kind of uh, paved the way for people to obsess over the royals in a completely different manner. Oh, for sure. And then mm -hmm. I'm sure the fact that, like, they get progressively more and more conventionally attractive, like that also, obviously. They were, like, saying that, like, oh, he looks like Diana. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, up until a certain age, right? <laughs> it's like the, those mountain batten jeans kick in and suddenly they start going bald. How did that happen to him? I, you know, jeans really do just switch like that. Indeed. When's it going to happen for the little one? Little George. Okay, so we learned that uh, it is Liz and Phil's golden anniversary. I don't know what that is. Is that like their 50th anniversary? Uh, well, let's think. They got married in, what, 47? So, yeah, it'd be the 50th. 
They're 50. Okay, so they're golden. Their 50th golden anniversary. And uh, there's going to be a full day of events. There's going to be a photo shoot. At this point, I believe this is the first time that we see older Harry. Yeah, older Harry is bringing him tea, but it's secretly champagne. We learn that they're both kind of having a hard time at school. But I don't know. It just feels like Harry is handling this so much better than William for whatever reason. Like Harry doesn't for, seem for, as affected for, for, for like by, for yeah. no reason that has been made clear to us at least. Like I, yeah. I'm sure Harry's off, you know, on his own journey. He's processing things too, but we're, we're not getting any of that at least so far. Yeah, and they have a whole memoir to go off of. Damn. I don't know. I felt like Harry seemed like completely unaffected by it. There's the scene where they're in the plane. quite jovial, in fact. Yes. Like <laughs> yeah, he was like, they're so much nicer to me now. Like yeah. Harry. I mean, again, except for his new mischievous, I don't know if you want to say sneaking extra alcohol at a young age is a bad thing. Is that a coping mechanism? It's a very weird choice that they also picked that. Do you think Dodie got Harry hooked on alcohol on the yacht? (laughs) What? (laughs) What a theory. Because again, when did this this kid start drinking? It happened within the last couple months. Do you think like Dodie was like, here, try this? School? Here's what I don't get. When does Eaton start? Why aren't William and Harry at the same school? Is it like lower school and upper school? Wait, what's the age difference between William and Harry? Isn't it like two years? Three two years? Two years. So yeah, I maybe don't know. maybe Eaton starts like right around the teenage years. You'd think it'd be like a long running one where they're like, we're going to get you when you're very young and then we're going to keep you. Well, I'm trying to think of like the, the episode seasons ago when Charles was starting school uh, and he, he like was that, young. He was like, yeah, right around like kind of like the uh, sort of tween age. Right. Mm-hmm. But we also we also don't know how long William has been at Eton now. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he's 15. I, I don't know. Maybe they're in two different sections of the school, but it felt very weird that they had like no interaction at all. Also, can 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 I just say something like you know that episode I just referenced from seasons ago where they're like hyping uh, Eaton up as this like incredible place and you know the alternative is so drab that it's just unbearable for Charles. Now that I'm seeing Eaton, I'm like, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, compared, <laughs> compared to, to the- Gordonston, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In comparison, but like, I mean, at this point, like you know, they could have just as easily sent him to public school. <laughs> It would never send yeah, him to public do. school. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, it didn't look that nice. I mean, it looked um, it looked okay. Old? It looked just old, yeah, it, it, it looked old and just kind of yeah, very milk toast. Yeah, maybe that's what they like. I don't know. Oh, yeah. uh, speaking of Eaton, um, the the headmaster, uh, our uh, the actor who uh, portrays him, uh, Blake Ritson. Are either of you two familiar with him by any chance? No, no, but maybe you'll tell me I am. Uh, well, uh, you might not be, but uh, as soon as he popped up on screen, uh, I turned over and kind of like yelled out to my wife, it's the gay cousin from the Gilded Age. Oh, I haven't seen the Gilded Age yet. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have but... not watched the Gilded Age either. And, and and let me let me give you a word of advice. Don't. Oh. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm like, my curse is that like I'm a completist. Like I, I tend to stick with things through the bitter end, uh, even like shows that have really kind of deteriorated in quality, I'm getting better at it. And and the Gilded Age was like a, a milestone moment for me where 10 minutes into the first episode of season two, I was just like, we're, we're not doing this. And I, and I turned it off. <laughs> but anyway, it, very, very distracting casting, at least for me. I, I mean, he just is who he is. I don't I don't think he can really help that. 
Okay, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with like an an analog for you to to like fully understand like how how weird of of an appearance it is. Um, let oh God. Uh, let's say okay. Let's say it was Tom Felton. Okay. <laughs> like imagine all of a sudden Tom Felton is is the headmaster at Eton. That's how distracting this is. Wait, so you're equating okay. Harry Potter for us to you watching season one of The Gilded Age. That was <laughs> well. No, no, no. Like all I'm saying is like you, you, you're like it's distracting casting, and it's somebody that you associate with a very, very different kind of role. You, you know what it is? It's like it's somebody who's playing kind of like a very uh, you know charismatic weirdo of sorts in the other thing that you're used to, and then they suddenly show up here, and they're just like completely normal. Like imagine if Tom Felton showed up and he was just he played like a straight like a straight man just like you know there was nothing nefarious about him nothing weird nothing otherworldly just you know the administrative head of an academy for boys in London Sure hmm. Speaking of lovable weirdos Dominic West as Charles So my wife actually decided to watch this episode with me she is not a crown viewer but learning that this would be the kind of Introduction to the the season in which William and Kate would meet and, you know, fall in love. She was like, I'll watch this one. And throughout the entire episode, the one thing she kept repeating was, oh, the Charles apologists are out in full swing for this episode. And I mean, I have to agree. So for just as much as we got, you know, William's perspective, we got Charles's perspective from all of this as well, trying to figure out how to be a good father, how to coach William through basically his grief. But um, yeah, I mean, they bring up in the argument, Ivan, that you mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that William and to a large extent, I think a bunch of people blame Charles for what happened to Diana. But ultimately, it's all kind of wrapped up in a bow with a nice hug. So, you know, I, I, I feel like Charles comes out of this looking pretty good. I, I feel like he really avoids guilt throughout this 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 episode for the most part. I, I mean, I am not a Charles apologist by any means, as we can see through this entire show. But I think that it was kind of good of them to not be like conspiracy about it. I mean, because like ultimately, yeah, it's his fault that they got divorced for the most part. But everything like it's not like he can be blamed for the death of his ex-wife like it, it felt like something where William's rationale made total sense when you're in this sort of emotional state and like you want to blame someone and you already like don't like your dad because he ruined your family like yeah of course you're gonna blame him I think that Charles reacted very immaturely to that to not realize that like of course your kid is going to think this like look at what he's been through but I I don't know I kind of this is like the one time where I was like okay like yeah Charles I think you probably genuinely did do a good job here. I kind of liked it. Uh, okay, I, I agree with like 90% of what you just said, Carlin, but I will build off of it and say it was Dominic West that did a good job. Like he <laughs> really kind of like sold you on sort of feeling for Charles and kind of like like really kind of giving off the impression that he's like n not necessarily a victim in the way that, you know, Diana and, and, and the others have been, but, uh, you know, that he himself is devastated by everything that has happened and, and you know, kind of the, the newfound agony that is now swirling up around all of this. Yeah, again, I just, I really liked that scene so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, both Ed McVeigh and Dominic 
West like really just kind of acted the hell out of uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I do agree that there's something going on here with Peter Morgan suddenly being far more favorable to the Royal family in general over the last few seasons mm-hmm. and kind of Charles specifically. But uh yeah, I mean, I, I was not in a position to like sit there and kind of like let them uh, let them like, you know, swing me over to Team Charles. And I mean, not that there's really an opposing team right now, uh, but yeah, that that scene and that performance, it, it, it did it for me. Like and again, the conceit of this podcast is that we treat these people like they're almost fictional characters. And within the scope of the crown, like, yeah, they made Charles very sympathetic, very, very successfully. You know, it was wild. Yeah. I liked Camilla in this episode. Like she had really good advice. <laughs> like, what was that? She no, like I, was I agree. spot on. <laughs> yeah. So Oh yeah, I, I well I have some questions about uh, Camilla, but but go on, Sam. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, I I thought her advice in this episode was good, and granted, we only got her on the phone. The one, the, I think, the time where I found Charles to be most annoying was on the phone call. I think where she's like, or where he's like, uh, oh, you've had to go through so much," which you know, oh, know, we never saw any any of that recently, like in the post Diana world. She's kind of always just like on the phone in her chair. <laughs> but no, I <laughs> I did agree that I I enjoyed seeing her again because yeah, this is the first time we've seen her since her birthday party, which William says was the reason that of course Diana was in in France in the first place. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm- oh, no, no, no. Uh no, like I I I I haven't even fully collected my thoughts about it, but what I'm a little distracted by is just sort of the current status of Camilla and Charles. So it's been at this point like two years since he officially divorced Diana, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I assume it, it, yeah, for for optics and you know whatever reason they could not have been super public about their relationship. But now, like you know, even less so, they're not really allowed to like you know parade their romance to the world. But like, uh, like what was their sort of medium term plan? involving their relationship at this point at like like pre-diana death were they was this like mounting toward anything well wasn't there that whole plot line about how charles kept asking elizabeth to like formally acknowledge camilla i think in hopes that he would be able to marry her acknowledge in what manner like in a positive way like interact with her at all oh the, the bar is that low it was pretty low it was like she wouldn't show up to highgrove because Camilla's birthday was going to be there. Right. Yeah. It's complicated. Well, would, would Charles have been allowed to marry Camilla if Diana was still alive? That Maybe That's what not. I'm wondering. Oh. So, like, was was their plan so. literally just to kind of, like, just to wait keep it out? dating in, like, in a low-profile way for the rest of time? I guess if that's what... I think he probably would have been fighting, like, the whole time to change the marriage oh, rules the sure. way that Margaret had been, but then probably wouldn't have succeeded. Or was he you know, waiting for a change in status to who was wearing the crown to suddenly decide what was going to happen. I mean, yes, I guess it would have still been when he was an old man, but he went mm-hmm. got it eventually. God, like, I mean, you, you got to wonder, like, how many, how many five year plans did Charles have over like the past, like two to three decades that he constantly had to kind of revise and, and, and check in on every half decade. So at one wow. point, Charles says uh, he goes to his parents, Liz and Phil, who I think this might be the only time we see Queen Elizabeth in the episode. She's not in this episode very much at all. And he says, what else is new? Yeah, Honestly. (laughs) And he says, can you talk to William? 
And Queen Elizabeth says, I mean, first of all, terrible idea. I would not ever go to Queen Elizabeth to speak, <laughs> you know, some consoling words to my son. But uh, Liz is like, no, a parent should do this. But Prince Philip, I thought this was an interesting episode for him because throughout this season, he's been so much of like a goober of a character. I don't know. It was weird because they wanted to use him as a tool in this episode, but they wanted to keep some of that goober energy for sure. I don't know. It felt like a different Prince Philip in this episode talking to William than we've gotten all season. Maybe a, a little bit of shades of, of his character from season five, but I felt like in the early part of this season, he's just felt like an appendage. Well, I, I, I think this is a byproduct of Philip finally having something to do. Because uh, yeah. like the, the characterization of him changes immensely once he becomes integral to the plot when he's just there like in the background as a as an echo chamber for for elizabeth or or a contrarian for the rest of the family like i mean he's just furniture at that point but mm -hmm. when you put him front and center like you did uh in this episode you kind of actually had to start putting some thoughts in how you wanted to write him and suddenly he he emerges like looking and sounding very different from the furniture piece from a few episodes ago Absolutely. And I, I think they did a really compelling job. Like it was almost like he was like an N yeah, like he was an NPC and then they suddenly turned him on and be like, hey, go go be part of the main <laughs> plot now. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like and you yeah, I sure. mean not I I they they very, you know, deliberately gave us some uh was it stock footage of Matt Smith or was it yeah. new material? Uh, oh I think it's new. I don't remember the beach. Yeah. Well no, but there was that scene where he I remember him like filming home videos. Way there were a lot when. of those, yeah. and, I, and I'm curious if they just like recorded a bunch of them with Matt Smith years ago to kind of yeah. use like as archive footage down the line. Because you you have seen mm -hmm. you know photographs and short short video clips of past mm -hmm. actors, but uh, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, so like I think the the decision to show that you know stock footage of uh, Matt Smith was uh, you know very effective because not only did us uh not only did it make us kind of like empathize with philip uh for the first time in a long time but you know it also kind of drew the parallels of the of the strained father-son relationship really effectively so yeah i mean all in yeah i mean like i have probably not said too many positive things about the jonathan price philip over the past season and a half but yeah in this episode it, it totally worked for me i agree i think the most interesting moments like the most interesting moments between the royal family is like when they're interacting with each other. And so often in the past two seasons, there's just been like, I mean, I'll, I'll use Philip as an example, but like Philip and Penny and like just like other characters that have no kind of like lasting or staying power with the general kind of like momentum of the series. But yeah, watching Philip kind of remembering. I, I don't know, I guess his strained relationship with his own father and how that ultimately impacted his relationship with Charles and then, you know, trying to use all of that to have a meaningful conversation with William that hopefully William will remember one day when he's a parent. Like, I thought that was a really, a really good scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was great. We haven't really talked much about the trip that they take. You know, Charles, I think in his efforts to, I guess, get William to... I, I, I don't know, just kind of like get get William out of the country and, and distract him a little bit, says, hey, why don't you come with me on my trip to Canada and we'll go to Vancouver and we'll go to the Space Center 
and there will be a, a couple official duties, and then we'll go skiing. William, <laughs> he's like, I have plans, but ultimately ends up going anyways. And I thought that this trip was kind of weird. Um, it was kind of weird watching it, and I think the, the scene that especially stood out to me was just William staring at the giant model of the moon. And then I, I think he was in kind of like a takeoff simulator at one point. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what that part, what that did for me, ultimately. My strongest emotional reaction to all of those Vancouver scenes, uh, once again, kind of connects to Vancouver itself. Uh, not, not my own personal experience, <laughs> but like just a, a sort of an observation from a production standpoint. So as we all know, like, you know, Vancouver is essentially the Hollywood of the North, you know, t tons of film and TV is shot up there. It doubles for many different parts of the world. Um, and uh, there's, there was this uh, video essayist uh, on YouTube years ago. I, I, I don't think he makes videos anymore. Uh, I think his name is Tony Zhao. The, the, the channel was called Every Frame a Painting, and he is based out of Vancouver, and he did a video all about, like, you know, the role of Vancouver in film and TVs and him sort of venting his frustration that, like, Vancouver ne never gets to play itself. Like, it it's a very dynamic city. It's an interesting place to, you know, set a story, but oftentimes it's instead just used as, you know, kind of New York or L.A. or all these other cities. This is interesting because I'm pretty sure that this what we saw in this episode is the opposite in that it, something was set in Vancouver, but probably shot somewhere else entirely. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah, I would imagine there's, so. There's no yeah. way they did a location shoot in Vancouver for, for like a couple of shots. Like they probably reconstructed that space center elsewhere. What a shame. I mean, I could I could be wrong, but like the entire time uh, they were in, uh, you know, Vancouver, I was like carefully looking out for some indicator uh, of a location shoot or something that was like unmistakably, uh, you know, that city. But no, I think they, you know, probably shot this, you know, back in the UK, made it look like Vancouver. Uh, and, and that is the exact opposite of Vancouver's role <laughs> in film and television for every other project in history. Well, so where do you think the ski mountain is then? Uh, I mean, it could be Scotland. It could be somewhere in mainland Europe. I, I don't think they went to Whistler just for these scenes. It could be a green screen. That was not a green screen. <laughs> that was a real ski mountain. I know. How do you wait? What based on what? <laughs> it looked real. What do you mean? It could be one of the virtual sets, you know, that they do for the Mandalorian. Now I want. Now again, we have to Google all this. But we're not allowed to. I want to know so badly. We're not allowed to Google things about like the real life royal family, but I feel like you know the production, yeah, the production uh, antics of the show are fair game. Okay. Yeah, but I will say the Whistler part was I thought the most interesting part of the trip for me because that was the opportunity for I feel like William as a character to show probably more of a POV and an opinion than we got from him really in the first half of the season. I mean, there were little bits and pieces where you could kind of sense that William was down on the Fayeds and down on all of the photographers that kind of follow them around every day. And especially during the forced photo shoot in, I guess that was what, episode three? The the forced photo shoot with, uh, with Charles and with Harry in, in Scotland mm -hmm. We really get William kind of snapping here. He learns that they're going to have to take some pictures at Whistler in order for then the press to leave them alone for the remainder of their trip. And he really just is like, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. This is so ridiculous. 
that um, that we have to do this every time. And then <laughs> the mic drop moment was when um, Charles says, that's not how you endear yourself to the crowd. <laughs> and then William says, I'm not the one with an image problem. Uh, I, I, sick, I, I sick thought that burn, was funny. Yeah. It was a sick burn. Truly, yeah. Charles is getting that sick burn from like every member of his family. And it must, it's so funny to see it from his son too. But to Charles's yeah. credit, every time somebody like lands a sick burn on him, like <laughs> you, you could tell that he's hurt, but he's also like, okay, yeah, they've got a point. I don't think we, we mentioned Matt Smith, Claire Foy photos galore in this episode. Oh yeah. Um, there first were so Claire, many. First Claire, I believe first Claire Foy, uh, Claire Foy sightings of season six, correct? N- or have Wait, we seen really? her earlier? Um, we definitely maybe? saw her in season five on like more than one occasion. I want to say, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I guess this would be the first. Yeah, always fun to see her come back. But it's always like there's always a little part of me that's like this is just a tool that they're trying to get <laughs> that they're trying to use to uh, to to reel me back in. Just showing oh, photos I just think of Claire it's Foy. Good set design where you're like, oh yes, <laughs> this, these are photos of the actors. <laughs> They, I, I, I'm with you, Sam. They've gotten a little overindulgent with it. Cause like, remember that first time, like Claire Foy, uh, you know, showed up again in in that uh, episode where it was like a flashback to her delivering a speech back in her uh, uh, younger days. That had impact because it felt like a you know special treat. But now, now these are just kind of like you know the cheap candy mints that they give you at the end of every restaurant meal. What a metaphor. Okay, so at the end of the episode. Will finally rolls, uh, rows out, and I'm not sure where Diana's grave is, honestly, but apparently you can only get there by rowboat. And he rows out by himself, and he leaves flowers at Diana's grave. I thought it was interesting that he decided to do that by himself, especially after in the scene before, it seemed like he and Charles had come to some sort of, like, reconciliation at least, or at, at least they're in, like, a, a decent place with regard to their relationship. But I thought it was interesting that William decided this was something that he needed to do by himself. Any thoughts on the significance of that? No thoughts, just questions about the the location of this resting place. Because you're right, it's only accessible by boat, uh, which makes me assume that it's in, uh, you know, carefully guarded royal estate. But I'm also perplexed as to how it would be decided that that's where Diana would be buried. I'm sure it's probably like a Spencer location and it's probably just somewhere she liked. I don't know. But like the fact that William could access it and and again, we're we're still kind of in the almost immediate aftermath of her passing. You would think that that site would still be swarmed with people. Well, I think it's if, private. Oh, so this is like William crossing over into like the neighboring Spencer estate or something like that? I would guess that she's buried somewhere like private private maybe she has a or, public or, grave or, somewhere, or like obviously but... he has like access to it and we just didn't see the scene of him being you know let in past the gate yeah i'm sure her actual mm-hmm. body is somewhere like that you can't access publicly well yeah i would imagine that this was it though right yeah yeah that's what i got from it but now yeah. i want to know where her public grave is because they must have one somewhere Oh, I was going to make a terrible joke about it being at Harrods. Oh, my God. (laughs) Muhammad wishes. I mean, that was honestly most of what we saw here in uh, episode 605. Any any other aspects of the episode that either of you would like to talk about? I'll just say quiet return to form. Like this, 
This has a lot of shades of what I, you know, grew to love about the show that I haven't seen as much in, uh, you know, this recent season and a half. So, I, I, it, I mean, it was a very somber episode. It wasn't, you know, a, a rocking good time, but it was, uh, yeah, it was polished. Um, I enjoyed it as well. Before we get into the Kinky Crown Award, I do want to want to note the sponsors for this episode because I do think it's relevant. One Hit Wonder, Natalie Imbruglia, clearly a sponsor of the episode. Oh, 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 okay. So wait, I actually have something to say about this. I totally forgot. So the opening of this episode, uh, we get yes. like a, a needle drop of uh, the cardigans. Correct. Uh, of, uh, I think it's what my, my favorite. Uh, my favorite game. My favorite mm-hmm. game. Great mm-hmm. song, right? Like, yep. and, 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 you know, admittedly, like w- when that song began, I was like, oh, they're getting, you know, very, very liberal with their use of these like kind of 90s needle drops, but still, you know, <laughs> n- nice way to kick off the season. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of 40 seconds later, we get torn and I'm like, okay, now they're just getting a little <laughs> too heavy handed with this. Cause like pick one of those two musical intros, you can't do both. But then if you leave out torn, you don't get Charles going, I love this song. <laughs> yeah. I just like to think that he's like, oh, Diana used to like pop songs. I'm going to go learn a pop song so I can relate to my son. But does this answer now the question of what uh, William was listening to on his headphones in the previous episode? Like, was he rocking out to the cardigans? I think, I think at least so. in part. Yeah. Because yeah. it was very clearly like it started off as um, as non-diegetic and then became diegetic. So that was fun. Uh, also, the Royal Mail, uh, I think, sponsored this episode very clearly. Uh, the H.R. McMillan Space Center in Vancouver. And then, of course, Creepy Grandfathers, which takes us into uh, the Kinky Crown Award. Ivan, take us take us away. <laughs> That's not how this works, Sam. No, I mean, I, I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to set up the Kinky Crown Award as, as right. the judge. All right. Welcome to the Kinky Crown Award. Because it's been, it's also been a minute. We haven't done it for the last two episodes because it hasn't really felt appropriate and there hasn't really been anything to to note. No wonder I've been so happy. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Kinky Crown Award. So, yes, uh, Sam, Carlin, please nominate the moment that you felt was the most uh, sexually charged or had the most innuendo or or the most, uh, uh, you know, pervasive undertones. and I will pick the winner between your two nominations. Who wants to go first? I feel like we probably both have the same number one pick. Oh, the same number one pick? Um, hold on, hold on. Okay, if, if, if it really is a 50-50 for who gets to say it first, I'm just going to pick at random Carlin. Okay, so... Why did I include this? Where Philip looks at, like, William's corkboard and it's covered yes. in, like, pinups of... <laughs> Of like modern um bombshell <laughs> women and he's just like oh this isn't a big deal like in my day it was i don't remember who he said like rita hayward or mm-hmm. basically trying to be like i too had sexy photos in my room as a youth <laughs> sam did yeah, you I have mean, a that- backup Listen, that was my number one choice because it was so random, but also so charged from like a 90 year old man. Um, but <laughs> authentic Philip, that's when authentic you know Phillip. they kept the character consistent. He's I think still my about ba- 80 at this point, by the way. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> 90 year old. Um, I think my backup would have to be the collection of letters that William got, uh, at the beginning of the episode, which included such lines as, um, I bet you have a great body because you play so many sports. 
I think you'll look really sexy with a crown on your head. I'm enclosing my picture, and I sent you my favorite teddy like me. She is soft and cuddly. Okay, see, that has so many more layers to it, so I'm actually going to give it to you, Sam. Oh, interesting. Okay. At least it's more I, 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 I don't think there's anything kinky about like, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're attracted to, you know, famous, sexy celebrities. So was I when I was young. I, you know, it's a little simplistic. Oh, <laughs> OK, I guess if you had that conversation with your grandfather. All right. <laughs> I, I think what was missing from that scene is like Philip producing photo evidence of these uh, pinups oh, that he used to God. have. That's true. They're still in his wallet. On hand. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. So I believe that takes us to an end here on The Crown Season 6, Episode 5, Will's Mania. Next time, we'll be diving into The Crown Season 6, Episode 6, Ruritania. But that's that's an issue for next week. So uh, in the meantime, Ivan, if people want to catch up with you about The Crown or the royal family or advice on Vancouver... Where can they do that? You know what? Uh, I give a different answer every week. This week, I'm going to say Threads, the uh, <laughs> the, the, the uh, successful social network from Meta. Um, we actually just got it here in the EU, but I had this weird thing where Meta still like saw my account as an American one, so I, I had it when it launched months ago. But now everybody here is getting it. So I'm getting tons of notifications of like new followers of like people here who are wow. getting those accounts activated. So it, it's top of mind for me. But uh, yeah, I think I've only ever posted there once on the first day. And all I said was, ugh. <laughs> so that's how you know that it's the real Ivan Vukovic. Because Ivan, there's, there's other people with your same name as well. Yeah, the nice thing about the name Ivan Vukovic and ha- and and being as relatively online as I, I am is I I've I've locked down that handle on most uh <laughs> most places. Uh Carlin, what about you? I guess Instagram and Threads, um Carlin underscore G E E. Uh, yeah, let's go with those. Okay. I still just use Twitter at Sir Sam Chunk. Should I join Threads? Is, no, is I guess. this an endorsement? Oh, I had a no and an I guess. That's not really a ringing endorsement. Well, well okay, yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, but in fairness, my no is more of like, I guess not. So I guess so and I guess not. It's, Do it, you it, like, not basically to just tell the world anything? Carlin no. gave a half-hearted yes. I'm giving a half-hearted no. So that just leaves me at the same place where I started. It sounds like that's just a neutral. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what Threads feels like right now. Like <laughs> for some, it, it's a real like kind of Rorschach test because like some people look at it and see life there and, and then I already see like a desolate landscape. All right. But the best place to reach us if you have any specific thoughts about the podcast would be on Twitter at Crown Around Pod. And that's all we've got for you today. Thank you all for listening and we will see you next time. And God save the queen. God, God save, save the queen. queen.